The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. Today, let's go ahead and look at the scriptures to see what the Bible has to say about gossip. And I came up with five questions really to just kind of answer this from a broad perspective. It's not going to be an exhaustive study, but just main things that I wanted to challenge our thinking with regarding this all-important topic. This was somewhat of a task, a challenging task for me to prepare for and study for because normally whatever the topic is, as I'm preparing, I'll go to some commentaries, systematic theology, Bible encyclopedia, Bible dictionary, uh, especially if it's in an area of theology. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit or something like that? And then all kinds of information that I can find in all of those resources. This week... What does the Bible say about gossip? I could not find the word gossip in a Bible dictionary. I have like 12 Bible dictionaries. Not there. Systematic theology. Not there. I began to panic. Um, wow. Books on my shelf about gossip. Not there. Okay. Wow. Last resort. I think I'll go to the Bible and see if it has something to say. So I did. went to the Bible and, and the Bible had much to say about gossip and how we talk. And as a matter of fact, the Bible was replete on our language and specifically the topic of gossip in the whole book of Proverbs. Amazing. So we can't exhaust everything the Bible has to say. But it did remind me that, wow, I began thinking, when was the last time I heard a sermon about gossip and I couldn't remember? I mean, just I've heard to it referred to here and there, but an entire sermon about gossip, if I ever heard it, it's been a long time. I know I have never preached an entire sermon on the topic but it is needy. I've taught through Proverbs before in a Sunday school class and alluded to it and came across it as the verses came up. But I just thought how appropriate, how timely that we'd be dealing with this topic that many times is totally neglected, but all too important, especially in the church. I know that firsthand that dealing with this issue of gossip is very important in the church. Um, some would churches ignore it altogether. I was thinking about a church that I used to work at years ago. Actually, I was a pastor and an elder there. I was an associate pastor. And the senior pastor was doing a, ser- a series on practical subjects. How to get along with your spouse. How to raise your children. How to be forgiving. And I think one of them had to do with your tongue and how to speak edifying, whether it was gossip or night. And then we had an elders meeting and he got reamed by the elders at that church because they said, you can't be preaching on all these practical issues on a Sunday morning, on the Lord's Day. Because it's almost irrelevant, all these practical issues, gossip, forgiveness, whatever else. And they were trying to they were exhorting him and reprimanding him and also warning me, because I preached occasionally, that Sunday mornings and the Lord's Day are reserved for the loftier and weightier matters of the sovereignty of the God and his glory. It's like wow. So you can't preach on these practical things on Sunday morning. And we didn't say anything, but we did talk later, he and I, and we actually were very like-minded about what we just got reprimanded for, and that was because, number one, we had the same training at the same seminary, and we were taught, and it was ingrained in our thinking, that we were to be like the Apostle Paul who said to the elders in Acts chapter 20 that I did not shrink from declaring to you all the counsel of God. Everything that Scripture had to say. There's too much that the Scripture says about gossip, slander, and how we talk to neglect it and ignore it. Think of another verse that comes to mind is uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is equally important. The book of Proverbs is just as important as the book of Romans. It came from God. 
All Scripture is inspired by God. God breathed. And then there's the purpose of that, Paul says, through the Spirit of God. We are to preach on all the Scriptures, the full counsel of God, and it is all worthy and helpful for teaching, for reproof, for training in righteousness so that the man, the woman, the child of God will be fully mature, totally equipped to live the Christian life. We can't neglect anything. Gossip is one of the topics that cannot be neglected. So despite what this elder reprimanded us for, we need to preach the full counsel of God. The issue of gossip, it's in Scripture. And that's one of the main reasons that we are addressing it. And the last reason that the pastor and I agreed that, you know, we this elder guy, he's wrong. And he's wrong much out of ignorance because the pastor and I, we were the ones that do all the counseling day to day and week to week. Month after month, year after year, I've been doing uh, counseling for saints in the church for 20 years. And all the, the counseling issues that come our way behind closed doors aren't over questions about the doctrines of the sovereign glories of God. My wife and I disagree on election. and blood. No, that, no, that ain't what it's about. Christians and marriages, couples, they're fighting about other. They are fighting about, fighting about the practical things. We're dealing with issues about forgiveness and gossip and division and getting along and confrontation. That's what goes on behind the scenes. How much urgent it is to address these issues from a biblical point of view so we can all grow together and honor the sovereign, glorious God by our very lives in obedience to Him because an obedient life pleases God. That's our goal. So let's go ahead and look at these five very important Questions about the topic of gossip. And we're going to start with that first one there, and that is just simply going back to square one. What is gossip? It needs to be defined properly. This is where, amazingly, much confusion is people can't get out of the starting gate sometimes because they have the wrong perception, understanding about what gossip is defined in a biblical manner. Uh, my summary definition is simply that gossip is speaking about other people behind their back, behind their back inappropriately. Speaking about people behind their back inappropriately. And like I said, the whole book of Proverbs is filled with exhortations, reminders, truths about gossip. I'll just read one. Proverbs 16. It's a good one, though. Proverbs 16. Uh, 27 and 28 says this, a worthless man digs up evil. And it's talking about digging up evil about other people, trying to find dirty laundry about other people. That's what a gossip will sometimes do. They've got to find the dirty laundry. Uh, um, a worthless man digs up evil about other people while his words are as a scorching fire. So he digs up that evil about somebody and then he starts talking about it behind that person's back and it creates a fire, verbally speaking. This is perverse activity because that's what verse 28 says. A perverse man or woman spreads strife. How do you do that? You do it by gossip and slander, talking about other people behind their back in an illegitimate manner. It spreads like a cancer. It poisons a lot of people and very quickly. Verse 28, the gossiper is called a slanderer and a slanderer separates intimate friends. Wow, that's one of the quickest ways to separate friends is through gossip. And it does. It separates people. It destroys relationships. That's what the Word of God has to say about this. So, gossip is simply speaking about other people behind their back inappropriately. Uh, one source said this, and I thought they said it well in terms of defining it. From There's different Hebrew words that are used to define a gossip. 
whether it's translated in English as gossip or slander or tale-bearer. Uh, the Hebrew word translated gossip in the Old Testament is defined as, quote, one who reveals secrets, one who goes about as a tale-bearer or scandal-monger. A gossiper is a person who has privileged information about people and proceeds to reveal that information to those who have no business knowing it. Gossip is distinguished from sharing information. Gossip is distinguished from legitimately sharing information about people in two ways. So here's two characteristics that constitute something as gossip. Number one, it is the intent. The intent when you're talking about someone behind their back. Gossipers often have the goal of building themselves up by making others look bad and exalting themselves as some kind of repository of knowledge. So it's the intent. And then number two, gossip is distinguished from giving legitimate information about somebody behind their back. Number two, first the intent is wrong and then secondly, the type of information that is shared. Gossipers speak of the faults and the failings of others or reveal potentially embarrassing or shameful details regarding the lies of others without their knowledge or approval. Even if they mean no harm, it is still gossip. That, that's huge. Even if they mean no harm, it's still gossip. And damning. Destructive. Those are really poignant and wise words. Very helpful. I meditated on this week and I thought of, just practically speaking from personal experience, working in the church, many different churches over the course of many years, working with Christians, counseling in my own life, in my own relationships, other people I know. How do Christians gossip? Did you, uh, did you know that Christians gossip? I don't know if you knew that or not. That is an important point. Gossip it is a sin. It is wrong. It is destructive. But Christians fall prey to gossip as they do. They're susceptible to gossip as they are any other sin. So we need to be realistic here. And here's how Christians gossip. And I, Admittedly, Christians will gossip differently than the world. Because the world, for the most part, they don't have any conscience at all about gossiping. It doesn't violate their conscience. As a matter of fact, gossiping many times, according to the world's perspective, is a good thing, right? They even have gossip magazine and gossip columns. And some of the most entertaining TV shows by the world standards are nothing but gossip, 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 Right? The Enquirer magazine been around for 40, 30 years. It's nothing but gossip. People love it. Paid big money for it. So not only do they tolerate it and legitimize it, they glorify it in the world. But gossip also goes on in the church in the lives of Christians. And here's many times how it can be characterized and also defined. Uh, yeah, and most of these emphasize... Again, defining what gossip is to, to help the Christian to examine their own life, their own words, to make sure they are not guilty of gossip. Talking about people behind their back. By the way, so if you're engaged in a conversation, that's the first thing. If you're talking to a brother or sister, and the brother or sister is talking to you, and you hear them mention somebody else's name when that person is not around, be ready to, to raise the yellow flag. Did you know that Pastor Cliff... Yellow flag? came over to my house and gave me his wife's brownies. Put the yellow flag down. <laughs> Green flag. That was legit. So, when somebody starts talking about somebody else, when they are not around behind their back, that's when you've got to be discerning. Very careful. And sometimes it's very subtle and very nuanced. And that's why many times we don't detect it when it happens. 
Maybe in hindsight, oh yeah, wow, that was gossip. Whoa, I didn't catch it. So here's some helpful things to keep, about, uh, keep in mind that would constitute gossip in a Christian context as they interact with one another. It's, gossip is simply lying about somebody behind their back. Just, just not telling the truth. Uh, gossip may also be telling a partial truth about somebody behind their back. This is huge. Well, what I said was true. Yeah, what you said was true, but it's still gossip. Number one, because that person wasn't there. Number two, you didn't have the authority to say that. Number three, the person you were talking to didn't have the authority to hear that. And then finally, the last reason, you only told part of the truth. You did not tell the whole truth. It is not a coincidence that in a court of law, you pledge to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. Somebody didn't just flippantly make that up one day. That was very well thought through from a legal perspective and really from an an ethical, moral, and biblical perspective. I promise to tell the truth. In other words, I promise not to lie. Deliberately or be deceptive. I promise to tell the truth. I promise to tell the whole truth. Meaning, I'm not going to be selective. Conveniently selective. Neglecting things that make me look bad. Or neglecting things that take away from my case against this person. So a half-truth is a whole lie. Most of the time. I pledge to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's kind of the compliment to that last phrase. You're not going to embellish anything. You're not going to add anything. You're not going to exaggerate to make your story sound more believable. So help me God. God is the God of all truth. He knows everything. He was there. He saw it. He's the ultimate judge, even if you think you can get away with the lie right now. It's a great phrase. And it was made to guard against false witness, lying, and gossip. So gossip is telling a partial truth or being selective behind somebody's back. Gossip is also exaggerating or embellishing behind somebody's back. Gossip is also... Uh, saying something behind a person's back that you would never say to their face. Not only is that gossip, that is totally, that's the epitome of cowardliness, being a coward. Um, gossip also entails repeating something that has already been, this is probably one of the ones that we find, we deal with most of all in the church, in counseling sessions. Repeating something that has already been addressed, confronted, discussed, prayed about, and even forgiven. And then lo and behold, wow, it's coming up again. Wait, I thought you forgave. I thought you talked to that person. Well, I did. I thought you, I thought that person repented. Well, they did. I thought you forgave that person. Well, I did. I thought Jesus forgave that person. Well, they did. Then why are you bringing it up again? And again, and again, and again. It goes on all the time. Christian relationships in the family, in marriages, all the time. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 says, don't keep a record. Do not keep a written ledger of offenses committed against you. That is totally unlike God. It's unforgiving, but that's gossip if you keep bringing that stuff up. Gossip is also frequently, when you talk about somebody behind their back, in a spiritual context. It sounds spiritual. It sounds religious. This is very subtle. Sometimes it can be about when you're talking about prayer requests. Oh, did you know so-and-so did this to their spouse or their child? Blah, blah, blah. Or you're going through the church directory and just one by one examining every person and all their character flaws in the context of spiritual concern about all the members in the church. That's gossip. Uh, Many times gossip is done as they talk about people behind their back with disclaimers. I don't like to judge, but... Or I don't like to... And then they do it anyway. Um, Also, pretending like you are saying it out of concern. 
compassion, empathy. But if you say it anyway, it's still gossip. And then here's the last one. And actually, this is the most insidious, the most hideous, the most destructive, and probably maybe one of the most prevalent in the church. A form of gossip. That's when you say something about another person behind their back and everything you said is totally true. Totally true. That's gossip. In other words, you haven't... So somebody comes to me and they're complaining. They are talking about a grievance they have about another member in the church. It, it's not necessarily a sin issue because we haven't found out yet. There hasn't been a court case yet. They're just complaining to me about another member in the church. And my, always, 100% of the time, my first response will be, have you talked to that brother or sister? Have you told them what you just told me? And then if they say, no, I haven't. Everything you said, even if it's true, even if they are guilty of this, this, and this, if you have not talked to them directly, especially if you're fearful of doing it and not having any intention of doing it, you are guilty of gossip, even if everything you told me was true. That is so important to understand. Even if you say something true about somebody behind their back, that is gossip. Because the book of Proverbs repeat, uh, defines gossip as repeating a matter. Repeating it. And it could be identical to reality. But you're doing it in an appropriate manner or context. So that's an extended, prolonged definition of gossip. But very, very important. We need to know what the definition of gossip is so we can deal with it head on from Scripture. So let's go to point number two. After what is gossip? Question number two is what does God think of gossip? This is a no-brainer. Go to Romans six and then have your finger in Rome. I mean uh, Proverbs six and then have your finger in Romans one. Romans. See, this is harsh, harsh language. I've talked to Christians. Christians have told me over the years, heard it many times, that God, the, that the word hate is a bad word, and that God doesn't hate anything. Well, yeah, He does. God hates all kinds of stuff. At least seven things God hates. That's Proverbs 6. Look at it. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yahweh hates. He detests. Yes. Seven which are an abomination to Him. Well, is it six or seven? Well, it's just a poetic refrain. It's repeated all throughout the book of Proverbs of saying something, getting to the number of seven, which is the number of completion. This characteristic of something. This is characteristic of God. Here are the characteristic things that God literally hates. Well, what are they? What are the things that God absolutely hates and despises? The holy, perfect, omniscient judge of the universe. What does He hate? Verse 17, He hates haughty eyes. That's somebody who's proud. A lying tongue. That's somebody who's deceptive. Hands that shed innocent blood. That's a person filled with hatred. 18, God hates a heart that devises wicked plans. God also hates, end of verse 18, feet that run rapidly to evil. And then in verse 19, the last two things that God hates, they're related. God hates a false witness who utters lies. A false witness. A gossip is a false witness. God hates gossip. He hates a false witness. What else does God hate? The end of verse 19. God hates one who spreads strife among brothers. God hates a gossip. Wow, that is strong language. But that's what the Bible says. So God has no tolerance, patience whatsoever for gossip as a sin. Go to Romans chapter 1. This also tells us how much God hates gossip. Before 
uh, Paul presents the entirety of the complete gospel of Jesus Christ that saves sinners from sin. He does talk about what God is angry at and what God is going to punish with His holy wrath. And he starts at verse 18 in Romans 1 and says, For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. God is pouring out His wrath right now in an ongoing manner against wrath, I mean against sin all over the world. He's pouring out His wrath. It's not future wrath that He's going to unveil someday. He's pouring His wrath out right now as we speak. God's wrath is coming down and being exerted against unbelievers, against wickedness, against ungodliness of all kinds. And then Paul, later on in the chapter, he tells us what kinds of sin God is judging and that He hates and that He's pouring His wrath out. So skip to verse 29. These people, these unbelievers, who are characterized by unrighteousness, verse 29, they are filled with all unrighteousness. That's a general term. And then he gets specific of what kinds of sin he is judging. Being filled with all unrighteousness, including wickedness, greed, evil, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip. Verse 29. God is pouring His wrath out against gossip and those who gossip. It's on the same level as murder. Can you believe it? Because it all issues from the heart. That's the point. Verse 30, slanderers, they go together. A gossiper is a slanderer, a slanderer is a gossiper. And keep reading. Haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they knew the ordinance of God, That those who practice such things are worthy of death. See, the wages of sin is death. And notice, murder is worthy of death from a holy God's point of view. Gossip is worthy of death. That's why it's always interesting when I watch uh, the uh, Kirk Cameron, great guy, evangelist. And he has the Way of the Master videos and he goes out on the street and he's talking to unbelievers and he's asking them questions and interviewing them. And he, he cuts right to the chase with just ultimate questions that force them to deal with reality. Are you a sinner? Are you, what, do you believe in heaven? And they will frequently say, yeah, I do. What happens to you when you die? Where are you going to go? Well, I think I'm going to go to heaven. And Kirk Cameron will always say, well, why are you going to go to heaven? And almost always they'll say, well, I haven't, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't murdered anyone. It's like the number one answer. I'm thinking Romans 1 says, uh, gossip is worthy of death, just as much as murder is, because the wages of sin is death. So, it's a simple answer, straight to the point. God hates gossip. He despises it. It grieves His Spirit. You're circumventing, short-circuiting your Christian life if you are involved in gossip. The converse is also true. If God hates gossip, which breeds division and disunity, look at how much God is pleased by unity among believers. And this is one of my favorite Psalms. It's Psalm 133. I'll just read the first verse to you. Listen to this. Psalm 133. Behold. Listen to this, God's people. He's talking to God's people. Listen to this, saints. Listen to this, men and women of God. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is, from God's point of view, for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. Man, God hates gossip. God is pleased and rejoices, literally, over the unity of the saints. That's an amazing thing to think that we can actually do something to please the Creator and the Maker of the universe. And we can do that by living in unity with one another and not gossiping about each other, but rather doing the right thing and also encouraging one another. So God hates gossip. Let's go to question number three. Well, what are the fruits of gossip when you do it and get involved in it, either unwittingly or 
in a premeditated fashion. It'll always have consequences to one degree or another because it will always reap something. You will sow what you reap. I put three fruits. There's more fruits than this. But here's three common ones. When you're involved in gossip, inevitably, three things will happen. You will distort the truth. So there's the distortion of truth when you are involved in gossip. Also, there's the circumventing of justice. You undermine justice. And then finally, you will have division among the brethren. You'll have division among brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. That's what gossip does. And there's a corresponding verse for each one of those, but I'll just highlight them. When you get involved in gossip, you distort the truth, and that's just face value, because when you go to somebody typically and you gossip about them and you mention their name and some nefarious activity you think you're involved into another person, usually you are in the spin zone. You are spinning the truth. You're distorting the truth. You're being selective. You're putting your bias on reality. And what are you doing? You are distorting truth and reality. God hates that. God is a God of truth. We are to speak the truth in love with one another. When you are involved in gossip, you are distorting, undermining truth. Proverbs 18.17 Actually, this applies to two of the points that I want to make. Proverbs 18.17 says this, um, The first to plead his case seems just. This is such a great verse because it's so practical. The first person to plead their case to another person about somebody else seems just and right. So what that means is somebody's gossiping about somebody to another person, they're pleading, the case, and they did this to me, and can you believe they did this? And then furthermore, they did this. And then here's your friend listening saying, wow, I can't believe, oh my. And then they become empathetic and they're uh, sympathizing with you and now they're building a grudge against the person. You're talking, oh, how dare they? they need to be executed. And you're poisoning their mind. How could they do this? And look what you've done to this person when they've only heard one side of the story. They haven't heard the whole truth necessarily, but they've already rendered a verdict. That's why gossip is so dangerous. That's what this verse is talking about. The first person to plead his case seems just until another comes along and examines him. That's why we have cross-examination in a courtroom. And they had cross-examination in the book of Deuteronomy for this very thing in the economy and the theocracy of God. And you couldn't validate anything as being true without the testimony of two or three witnesses. And Moses was one of these judges. And he had other judges helping him, listening to cases between fellow Israelites, dealing with conflict with one another. And Moses would never render a verdict until he heard both sides of the story. And he wouldn't validate anything unless you had the testimony of two or three witnesses. Why? Because of the reality and truth of this verse. The first person to plead their case seems just, seems right, seems accurate, until... Further light is given. Further truth is given until another comes along and examines him with cross-examination. This is huge. That principle allows us to keep from perverting the truth. So we've got, that's why we need the truth and we need the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So if, I enter, if somebody comes and tells me something about another believer or just another person, I will never believe it. I won't entertain it. Have you talked to that other person? Yes, I have. And they wouldn't listen to me. Okay? Then we need to do Matthew 18. You need to take one or two along with you. Who are you going to take? Can you go with me? Yes, I will. And then I will go with that person and then I will go and hear the other side of the story and try to be an objective judge. Tell me the whole. Tell me your side of the story and your side of the story. If you've got children, parents, you have to deal with this every day. Sometimes every other hour. I do. And it's hard trying to get the whole truth, the whole story. Who was the first one to steal the cookie? 
I don't know. I wasn't there. But anyway. So we can't distort the truth, but gossip does. The next one is it distorts justice. It undermines the process that God has set in place. We talked about last week, and that's why this complements confrontation. Last week, two key passages. If you know that somebody has a problem against you, if you know somebody has a problem against you, Matthew 5, Hupage, Jesus said, then you need to stop your religious business and go to that person. Go. And then Matthew 18 said, if you have something against a brother, same thing, Hupage, you need to go to that person so that the two people who have a conflict meet in the middle, face-to-face, privately, personally, verbalizing it, working it out before God. That's Jesus' procedure that He gave to the church to deal with conflict in one-on-one personal situations. When we start gossiping about somebody else, we undermine that process. We undermine it. Not uncommon for somebody to complain about another believer or another person about some supposed sin or grievance and they're telling another person and they will automatically conclude, I've heard things like this, I don't think they're a Christian. They must not be saved. Wow. That's really dangerous to do that. That violates Matthew 7 where Jesus said, do not judge. Now what Jesus meant there was, don't judge a person's heart or their motives because you can't. That's what He's talking about. In that same chapter, Jesus said, judge them. What was He talking about there? He was talking about their words and their actions. We can judge a person's words and actions. Meaning not by judgment, we can assess and get the objective observation. When he said don't judge, he's talking about their motive, their heart, where they are before God. I don't know if anybody is saved or not. I'm not God. I don't know that. So we can't judge people's motives. So when you you got offended by somebody and you automatically conclude and start entertaining in your mind that another professing believer or Christian is not saved based on one thing that happened to you and you haven't gone through the procedure Jesus said in Matthew 5 and Matthew 18 all four phases if necessary, and you circumvented and bypassed all of that because that's God's way of bringing resolution in the church, then you're being disobedient and destructive and proliferating the dangers and the consequences of gossip. This undermines justice. God is a judge. He's called a judge many times. God has a legal mind. Dealing with conflict is a legal process. It is encoded. It is inscripturated. It is preserved. There's accountability for it. We can't undermine it or bypass it. We need to go. So if we have a grievance, we need to go through the proper channels of how God told us to deal with conflict. And you confront it head on, in honesty, prayerfully, with truth, verbally, giving the benefit of the doubt, not undermining justice and the Matthew 18 discipline process. So that's what gossip does. It distorts the truth. It circumvents or undermines justice. And finally, it, brings, it breeds disunity in the church all over the place. Uh, Proverbs 17.9, listen to this. Uh, 17.9 says, He who covers transgressions seeks love. He who covers trans- uh, transgressions. Another phrase used throughout the book of Proverbs on this is, love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, a loving, gracious, forgiving person who is like Christ has a huge capacity to forgive others. And they throw blankets of love to smother and cover and hide all the weaknesses and deficiencies and idiosyncrasies and sins of others because they're being like Christ. We need to be forgiving. It's a basic command. That's what covers means. Hides, protects. It talks about having a forgiving, gracious, patient heart 
towards other people because you're being like Christ. So he who covers a transgression seeks love. That's the loving thing to do. The loving thing to do when you've got a gripe or complaint about a fellow believer is not to verbalize your gripe. It's to ask God for a forgiving heart. Okay, is this really worth making an issue of? Is this a mountain or a molehill? God, work on my heart. Give me discernment. Give me wisdom. And if it is a mountain and is worth confronting, then what you need to do is you go directly to that person. Go directly to that person. Go directly to that person. That is your only option in terms of personal conflict issues. If it's not worth making a mountain of and it's just a little thing that you can forgive, then you need to forgive the love of Christ. So that's Proverbs 17.9. He who covers a transgression seeks love, but contrast the unloving person. But the one who repeats a matter, this means brings up the incident again in another context, usually behind that person's back. That's what it means to repeat a matter. See, and it can be totally true. Here's, you know what? Here's what this person did. And here's what they said. And it could be 100% accurate, but the motive is wrong. It could have been forgiven, but they chose not to. And now they're repeating it in an illegitimate context. That is gossip. It is destructive. The one who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. So gossip, it separates. Gossip breeds disunity. That was one of the problems of the church at Corinth. Slander and gossip. Breeding disunity that spread like a cancer and almost destroyed the church. That's what it will do. So the Christian, the godly Christian, isn't going to gossip and bring about division. We will do just the opposite, or we should. First Corinthians 13, one of those, love is all this. One of those phrases is love protects. Love is storge. The word is, Greek word is called, you know what it means? Love puts a shelter over another person. A, a veranda or a, an umbrella over another person. Literally, it's graphic. That's what love does. Love literally protects another person's reputation. That's what love does. It's just the opposite of gossip. Instead of gossiping and maligning them, when we talk about them, we are protecting their reputation. Yes, we know they have foibles and weaknesses and shortcomings and sins, just like I do, but I'm going to protect their reputation. They are a child of God. They're in the family of God. They're a sibling of mine of God. They are precious to God. God doesn't like it when we talk about His children. Same thing for me as a dad. I got four kids. When one of my kids, if one of my kids were to talk bad or ill or illegitimately about one of my other kids, I would get furious. Zero tolerance. You do not talk about one of your siblings like that. And furthermore, and most, you don't talk about one of my kids like that. That's my child. Fortunately, I don't really have that problem to that degree in my family, by God's grace. But in our personal relationships, it's a temptation. We're susceptible to it, so... Those are just basic fruits of gossip we need to be leery of. Let's go on to question number four. Well, what are you like when you gossip? Well, some of the statements about gossip are categorical, if you noticed. Because when we read, I don't know if you caught this, when we read Proverbs 6, it did not say God hates gossip. Which is startling. You know what it said? God hates a gossip. Wow. Yikes. God hates the person who gossips. I believe in that context God is talking about an unbeliever. An unbeliever whose life is characteristic of living like the world and gossiping is what they do. It's a normal way that they talk. As a matter of fact, they tolerate it and glorify in it and do it all the time. And it speaks of the heart, an unredeemed heart. But we do have to address this issue of 
when we do sin, we are acting like our old man, our old flesh. When we do sin and compromise, we are acting like the world and unbelievers, aren't we? Anytime we sin, any kind of sin. For the believer, it shouldn't be characteristic of us. For a believer, it's not characteristic of our nature, our redeemed nature. But we all stumble in many ways, don't we? We all have feet of clay. We are all vulnerable and susceptible to just about any kind of conceivable sin. As people of flesh, we are finite. We are fallen, even though we are redeemed as believers. But we do need to be reminded, when we do engage in gossip, what are we like? Who are we mimicking? When somebody looks at us and we're doing that behavior, what is the reflection we are giving? What is the testimony we are giving? It's kind of scary. So let's look at the three uh, in number four. Who are you like when you gossip? Well, a fool, according to Proverbs. The wicked, says Proverbs. And Satan himself. Wow, ouch. That last one really hurt. Well, what about a fool? When you gossip, you're like a fool. Well, that's Proverbs 10.18. Gossiping about other people is characteristic of a fool. By the way, the word fool is used many times in the book of Proverbs. Many different Hebrew words are used. Meaning fool in the book of Proverbs. And for the most part, it always means a rebel. Somebody who's unredeemed. An unbeliever to the core. That's the way the word fool is used in the book of Proverbs. That is their very essence. That is their nature. They are an unbeliever. So they're just acting according to their nature. That's all. And gossip is a regular part of their lifestyle. But when, an, when a believer acts like an unbeliever, who can distinguish between the two on the outside? So that's why this is a good warning. Proverbs 10.18 says this, uh, He who conceals hatred has lying lips. He who spreads slander is a fool. So Christian, when you gossip, when you slander somebody else, you are acting like a fool. And a fool in the book of Proverbs is an unbelieving, unredeemed rebel of God. Don't act like that. Don't mimic that. Because God has called us to be children of light, right? So the world will see our good deeds. And it will make a difference. And be a testimony for God. So don't act like a fool. Also, when we gossip, we act like wicked people. The wicked, that's another categorical statement. The wicked in the book of Proverbs typically is somebody who is not redeemed. Somebody who is an unbeliever. This is their lifestyle. This is their nature. Proverbs 17.4 says this, An evildoer, notice he's an evildoer, listens to wicked lips. So they... Even though not just the person who gossips is evil, the person who entertains the gossip is evil and wicked. An evildoer listens to wicked lips. Illegitimate conversation about somebody else behind their back. I, that's why it keeps coming to my mind of at the end of the Gospel of John where we saw where Peter wanted to talk to Jesus about John. Well, what about John? And Jesus would have none of it. He was not going to entertain that. I'm not going down that road. We are not talking about John. We're talking about you. That's what we need to do. I'm not going there. This doesn't involve them. So an evildoer listens to wicked lips. A liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. Wow. When we are involved in gossip, not only are we like a fool who is unbelieving, we are also like the wicked. And then finally, this is the dagger when you entertain gossip or involved in gossip, we are actually acting like Satan himself. Look at Revelation if you've got your Bible handy there. Revelation chapter 12. The entire chapter 12 for the most part is about Satan, his history, his character. And he's described in all of his fallen attributes. Verse 9, starting at verse 9. Listen to the way Satan is described. Revelation 12:9. And the great dragon, he's a dragon, he's a loathsome creature a heinous being. That's Satan. And the great dragon was thrown down. 
And then he starts describing it. He is the serpent of old in the Garden of Eden. The deceiver. He is the serpent of old who is called the devil. That word means the diabolical one. He is totally untrustworthy. And Satan is his name. What else does he do? He deceives the whole world. He is a deceiver, distorter of truth. He is a liar. He was thrown down to the earth by God. And his angels were thrown down with him. Verse 10, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, John said, Now the, uh, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. There it is. That description of Satan as the accuser of the brethren. The word there, the Greek word, kategoreo. Category. That's, that's what accuser is in Greek. Satan, who categorizes people. Isn't that amazing? That is so graphic. Satan, the liar, the one who lies about people. He categorizes people. He puts them in little boxes. He confines a false stigma about them and labels them with that, trying to make that their very character. He is the categorizer. That's what a caricature is. It's a false rendition of somebody. It doesn't reflect reality. That's what Satan is. He is a categorizer. Categorizer. He is a categorizer, accuser of the brethren. He is before the throne of God to whatever degree he's allowed to be there, and he is making accusations against believers. Yeah, Pastor Cliff, he did this and this and this, and so and so did this and this and this, and that's what he did with Job. And Job, have you considered Job? He was accusing Job before the throne of God, creating a false category, stigma, image about Job. And usually what he does is he'll say something true about that person. Again, he's being selected. That McManus guy, he's a sinner. Here's what he does or says. And he's not giving the whole picture. He's not giving all of truth. He's not telling God, oh, and by the way, Jesus Christ died on the cross and absorbed the wrath of God, was buried and rose again, and Pastor Cliff uh, trusted Christ and got saved and all of his sins forgiven. Satan isn't going to mention that because he's a categorizer. He's a distorter of the truth. He doesn't want God to remember that, oh no, Cliff is one of my redeemed ones. That's what he does with believers. He's a categorizer, a false accuser, a stigmatizer, putting people in boxes that are totally illegitimate. You know, we do the same thing. We don't give the whole picture when we speak of people. We categorize them. When you start categorizing people with false words, slander, gossip, misrepresenting the truth, selective truth, you are acting like Satan himself. That's fearful. God forbid that believers would be involved in such a practice, especially on a regular basis. We need God's help to save us from that. So let's not be like the world and engage in gossip. And then finally, number five, well, how should Christians talk? We shouldn't be involved in this malignant conversation, spewing words of hatred, undermining destruction, gossip, slander. But just categorically speaking, three things. Christians should speak with thankfulness to God on a regular, ongoing basis, because that's 1 Thessalonians 5.18. And everything give thanks, present tense, continue to always give thanks to God. That's, that's what you're verbalizing all the time. You've got a thankful heart and a thankful attitude and a thankful mind to God all the time, regardless of what is going on in your life. Because He is your Savior. He is your Father. And that pleases God when we are thankful to Him all the time. Just thankfulness should be just dripping off of your lips. Thankfulness to God and how good He is and glorious He is. That's a godly Christian. That's a mature Christian with thankfulness to God. Secondly, how we should be talking about other people, edifying about others. We should speak edifying other uh, words about others. That's Ephesians 29 and following. I'll just read a couple of verses out of Ephesians 29 because it 
so important. It's a long passage. It's all talking about our speech as Christians now that we're redeemed and how we should be characterized when we talk, starting at verse 29 of Ephesians 4. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. The Greek word is picturesque. Let no rotten word come out of your mouth. Rotten, that same word is used to describe rotting fruit, rotting meat with maggots in it. Don't do that. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. And he's not just talking about curse words and that kind of thing. It's about words about other people is the context. Because he goes on. Don't speak unwholesome words or destructive words or undermining words, but rather, but only such a word as is good for edification. There it is. Ed- building up. Oikodameo. It's a compound word. Oikos. House. Dameo. To build. To build up a house. And that's how you need to consider another person and another believer. What can I say to build them up, to edify them, to encourage them in accordance with truth that pleases God and helps them grow? That should be characteristic of how we talk to one another. When I was in college my senior year, the four of us at the Master's College rented an apartment off campus. And when you're in college, at least we were seniors, single, footloose, fancy-free, life is good. And we were funny and we were also sarcastic. And we all four of us, and we were all Bible majors. And we were all going to seminary. And we were all going to hopefully be a pastor someday. And we were all notoriously sarcastic. Joking about one another, undermining one another. And so we made a commitment to one another. Out of, and we all memorized Ephesians 4.29 together and tried to hold each other accountable. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. We were all taking Greek. And so we, oh, oh, you, oh, you violated, oh, you cut me down. This is good accountability. But as a good reminder, we need to speak things that are edifying only and not cutting down, even at the expense of a joke. It just violates this passage, whether it's intended or not. Speak only words that are edifying, that literally build up and encourage those who hear according to the need of the moment, because you never know what frame of mind somebody is in, and they, they need some encouragement in light of what's going on in their life. Timing is everything sometimes according to the need of the moment, in order that it, notice, that it will give grace to those who hear. Is that your goal and mission as a Christian? As you personally interact with other people, you just want to go out and you want to grace people with your words. You want to grace people with what you say. You want to bless them, build them up, edify, encourage. Is that your mission? It should be. At least that's what Paul's telling us we need to be doing. Grace those who hear. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. When you... Do just the opposite and undermine fellow believers. You grieve the Spirit of God who lives in you. You grieve the Spirit of God that lives in that other believer. And you thwart, you undermine the work that God's trying to do in your life. And that it just goes on. Uh, verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away. Gossip. Put it away with all malice. That's what motivates it all. Hatred. Don't do that. Don't have a hateful heart. Verse 32, be kind to one another. It is significant that Paul is saying this to Christians. This was a church he planted. He's having to say this to Christians. Why? Because I think some in the Ephesian church who were Christians were doing this. They were slanderous. They were gossiping. They weren't edifying. They were believers. They knew Jesus Christ. They needed to be reminded. They needed to be reprimanded. They needed to be held accountable. Christians do this. That's why we all need the reminder. We all do. Man, don't be that way. Rather, be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, soft heart towards everybody. Forgiving each other. Forgiving. That is huge. Just as God in Christ Jesus also has forgiven you. 
There is no sin that any person has committed against you that you can gripe and complain about that is worse than any sin you have committed against the Holy God. Isn't that true? That is true. And because I know Jesus Christ, He's forgiven me of all of my sin. As a result, I should have a completely forgiving heart, especially towards the brethren. So we are thankful towards God with our words. We are edifying towards others all the time. And then finally, realistic about ourselves. We have got to be realistic about ourselves. Because in that definition we saw about a gossip, one of the reasons that people gossip is to inflate a view of themselves, right? To build themselves up, usually in an unrealistic manner. I am better than that person. I don't do this sin. I don't do that behavior. I don't act like that. And then that's why Paul gives this sobering reminder in Romans 12, verse 2, or verse 3 and 16. Listen to this. For through the grace uh, given to me, I say to every man among you, every woman, every believer, I say to every man among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Have a sober assessment of yourself. In other words, people, you're not such a big shot. McManus, you're not such a big shot. Be realistic about yourself. Recognize your strengths and weaknesses. And then anything that you have that is good came 100% from God and His doing and none of your own. So be realistic about how you think about yourself. Even your own sins. Do self-examination, self-evaluation, confession of sin to God on a regular basis. And even asking God to reveal unseen faults in your life. But think so as to have sound judgment as God has allowed, allotted to each a measure of faith. And then finally in verse 16, be of the same mind towards one another. In other words, think the same about everybody around you. In other words, don't be partial or prejudiced towards you. Think the same mind. Have the same love as everybody. Love everybody the same. That's what that means. Love everybody the same. It's like if somebody were to ask me, Pastor Cliff, who do you like best at Grace Bible Fellowship? Who are your favorite sheep? Well, the ones that don't stray and that eat on time and that are friendly and play well with others. I can't do that. I've got to love everybody the same. Even the ones that stray and the ones that get caught in the wire fence over there and the ones that smell and the ones that obey. I've got to love them all the same. And actually, that's a mandate for every Christian. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty or proud in your mind, but associate with the lowly. Associate with the lowly. Associate with anybody. Don't be prejudiced. Do not be wise in your own estimation. How should Christians talk? Being realistic about self. And then finally, you don't need to write these down, but these are just practical suggestions. And if you want these, I can email them to you later. That's why I said you don't have to write them down. There's just too many. But just good thoughts as we part to meditate and add to your arsenal of stuff I've already given you of how we can deal with and contend with and overcome this tendency to gossip because we all struggle with it, don't we? There's nobody perfect. That's James chapter 3. The tongue right there, it's an evil thing. With this tongue... I worship my God and I curse my fellow man who's made in the image of God. And no one, said James, can, can perfectly control the tongue. Only a Christian can through the help of the Holy Spirit, accountability and the truth of the Word of God and prayer. That is the only way that we can manage it like a loose and wild animal. And it's hard. So there is no perfect person who can always bridle their tongue. But there are things we can continue to do. Everything I've just mentioned, in addition to these following parting thoughts, I'll leave you with. If you want to try to help overcome gossip... Talk less. That's wisdom right out of Proverbs. Malign no one. Not even political candidates that you don't like. That's Titus chapter 3. Malign no one. Even if they deserve it. Malign no one. 
Another way to overcome gossip. Avoid those who gossip. That's what Proverbs said. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. How else do we overcome gossip? Keep a confidence. Get in the practice of keeping a confidence. Confidential information. Don't spring leaks all the time with your lips. Be intent on protecting other people's reputation. 1 Corinthians 13. Also, remember that God does not gossip about you. Aren't you glad? Seek to build people up. Oikodameo. Edify. Ask God to convict you in this area. Here's one. Deliberately encourage someone. Hey, we have encouragement notes in the bulletin. Hint. Quit judging others. The book of James. Keep short accounts. In other words, be forgiving. Confront people directly when you have an issue with them or that you think they have an issue with you. Confront them directly, personally, verbally. Cultivate a forgiving and thankful attitude. That will help squash out a gossiping attitude. Here's a practical one. Read Proverbs daily and read a chapter every day. Today is July 18th, so today I should read July, I mean I should read Proverbs 18, the whole chapter before I go to bed. Tomorrow's the 19th of July, I should read the entire chapter. That's what I've been doing since I got saved because somebody told me to do that when I got saved. So you're reading through the book of Proverbs the whole month. And then finally, memorize verses about speech. The psalmist said, God, Thy Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against Thee. Thy Word have I hid in my heart. You know what that means? That means they memorized Scripture. So it's in their brain, ruminating in their very consciousness. And God uses that to restrain our sin. Memorize the Word of God. God will use that as a tool to help you live more obediently, all for His glory. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank You for our time together and for Your goodness. Thank You for the treasure of Your Word, the Scriptures. God, I thank You for the sufficiency of Scripture. And You're right, Lord. You said in Timothy that all Scripture is inspired. It came from You and it's valuable for us to study so that we can grow in maturity in every area of life. So I do pray, God, that You would help us take these verses that we've looked at regarding speech, how to have holy speech, how to refrain from sinful speech. We would make them our own. You would pierce them and ingrain them upon our conscience and our heart with the Holy Spirit of God to really restrain our own sin, God. And we pray that You'd use the Spirit of God as well to lead us in holiness of life and holiness of speech so that we will reflect the light of Christ so that the world will look and say we are different because of You and also that ultimately You'll be glorified in how we live as a pleasing aroma and sacrifice to You. Bless us as we go. We commit it to You. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.